0: Thank you, Mackenzie. Good morning, Capital. Hey, I love this energy right here. This is fantastic. Wow. It can spread to the rest of the group all the way in the back. I don't see any energy in the back. Come on. You got to add. Oh, there we go. There we go. All right, good. Hey, it's so good to be here, truly. And how cool was that child dedication? Yeah. is that just so awesome? Yeah. If you're a parent or not, that's just one of those special, special moments. Thank you, Troy, for leading that. And great job with all those names. That was really impressive. All his work in Greek and Hebrew paid off, I think. <laughs> Hey, so listen, I want to start today um, and and tell you about something really exciting. I ended up buying uh, an Apple Watch. Um, Anybody have an Apple Watch? Who has an Apple Watch? Okay, you got, all right, several people. Why is this a big deal? Um, I dragged my feet on getting an Apple Watch for a long time. I usually like to get the latest technology. I think it's fun to see what the latest thing is. But for the longest time, I thought, an Apple Watch is a waste. I mean, you have everything on your phone. Why do you need a watch, right? There's no difference, right? So I dragged my feet for a long time. I said, it was a waste of money. They're kind of expensive. And so I waited and waited. But then I kept hearing from a lot of my friends who had them and said, oh, there's some great benefits. Like you can go on walks and hikes and and ride your bike and they'll track everything. They'll track your right, They'll track your run. They'll track your bike ride, your elevation gain, um, how many steps you take in a day, how often you stand. They'll They'll track your heart rate. They'll they'll track each and when you sleep, and and tell you if you're having sleep issues. Which I'm I'm having sleep issues. That's maybe getting older. Maybe that's what happens. Um, All these things. In fact, it's so many things they track. It's kind of scary. And they are like, whoa, what all? They are tracking everything. But I finally said, okay, I'm going to do this. So I w- And here's the best part. They just came out with a new Apple Watch, which means last year's model uh, went down less than half of the new price. And so I got the nice cheap price of last year's model. And it's a great, great watch. I love it. There's so many apps on there. And what I was amazed by is you look at this watch. I started thinking about this technology. All the apps that are on my phone for the most part are on my watch. Isn't it incredible? And I started thinking about this when I was thinking about this message today. I, like, just in the last twenty years, the technology change has been remarkable, remarkable. So I just pulled out some old technology. Like this is old. This I, I had to dust the get the dust off of this. But um, this, do you know what this is? By the way, does anyone know what this is? It's called a cassette tape t-a-p-e tape um this is actually uh, a sermon tape from mine 2004 so this is not even 20 years ago and i was talking with troy joking about this Uh, back then churches had tape ministries and we didn't hand out scotch tape we gave these kind of tapes out they had a tape duplicator here at Capitol. we did too at our church it was a tape ministry remember cassette tapes Oh my goodness, yeah. I used to listen to my car all the time. I had just tapes in there all the time. Cars came with cassette tapes. that was after eight-track tapes, by the way, if you had eight-track tapes. So cassette tapes. Well, then that kind of went the the way of the dodo. And then we've got the CDs. CDs kind of started coming out. You can get a lot more information, a lot more songs on CDs. So CDs became very much replacing cassette tapes. Well, that didn't take long, because then you had to get a CD player in your car, right? Then to switch to DVDs. There's another piece of technology, DVDs. Who listens, who watches DVDs anymore, by the way? we Okay, good. I still love DVDs. We have a ton. I used to get in those DVD clubs and get all those, you know, you buy five and you get 500, you know, or something like that. It was amazing. I ended up giving most of them to the Christian Center. But this is one, just in 2015, we would give this out as a summary of our year end at the Christian center. Most people have just tossed DVDs because everything is streaming now, right? You can stream things right onto your phone, right onto your TV, right onto your computer. Everything's just streaming. Why deal with the DVD? You have to put it in there and you have to clean it and rub it on, make sure it doesn't get bent or broken or whatever, right? DVDs are gone. And so I could go on. I mean, the iPod, I don't have my old iPod, but just think of all the technology, this phone, how powerful phones are now in terms of how much information. And the technology change in less than 20 years is remarkable, isn't it? Yeah. It's remarkable. Now it's just, on your, oh, you need is a wrist. Voice watching. You got everything right here on your watch, on your, on your wrist. It's incredible. Now, the reason I start that is because we're going to talk about change today. And there's no doubt when we look at the change in technology, we've had some tremendous change. Again, just in 20 years. And yet you look at the world today and what's going on in the Middle East and it seems like there's certain things that haven't changed for centuries, right? So why do some things change like technology really quickly and other things seem not to change? And then you start looking at your own life. Some of you may be going through tremendous change right now. New job, new relationship, maybe new uh, opportunity to go to school, new classes. Some of you felt like you haven't had any change in years. You're doing the same old thing over and over again. So we all approach change a bit differently. And so today, as I look at this issue of change, there's several things I want to talk about, but I'm going to narrow it down to a couple things. First of all, though, here's what's really one of the elements we don't like about change. Things can change in our life that are out of our control, but they can change literally in an instant. You could get a phone call today that could literally change your life. You could get a doctor's report tomorrow that could change your life. You could get a pink slip next week that could change your life. You could get an email explaining something tragic and it could change your life. Three years ago, COVID changed all of our lives. We had no control over that one, right? We all had to change out of our control. All kinds of things are changing all the time. I had this really tragic situation I was scrolling through my Facebook feed last week and I uh, kept getting all these uh, messages about a friend named Brian who I went through with my uh, doctoral program. We're in the same doctoral program. He's a pastor of a large church in Dallas. And all these tributes were going out to him. I'm like, what's going on? He's younger than me. What is going on? And, and I, apparently he died in his sleep. Natural causes. And an entire church is mourning. And there's all these posts on Facebook. And overnight, I believe he has three kids, a wife. No warning. No preparation. Just died in his sleep. See, things like that can happen, right? And change makes us uneasy. Because when change happens to us, it reminds us we're not in control. And most of us don't like to be not in control. Certainly some of you are control freaks, but even those who are not control freaks, none of us really like to be out of control, right? Right? And so change changes that because it reminds us We're not in control. In fact, we're in way less control than the things we think we're in control of. And change reminds us of that. And the one constant in life is change. So as we look at change today, there's so many things we could talk about, but for the time that we're gonna focus on, I'm just gonna look at two different types of change. But one thing I will have to say, it's really, I think it's really ironic. Uh, Maybe you've experienced this too. When it comes to change, you know what I found? Is that it's so much easier to look in someone else's life and say, oh, you've got to change that. That's terrible. Come on, right? It's so much easier to point out change in other people's lives. It's actually kind of fun sometimes. Like, oh yeah, you got to change that. you got to change that. We get really good at being change experts in other people's lives. Have you ever done that before? Um, Yeah, this really is true, I think, in marriage and relationships. You know, maybe you've said to yourself, if my spouse would just change this and this and this, my life would be so much better. Or you think about your kids. If my kids just changed this, this, and this, my my kids would be so much better. Our house would be so much better. Or maybe you're a kid and you think, well, if my parents just changed, did this, this, and this, our family would be so much better. It's so easy to point the finger at others and, and say, so we we're want. we all about world change. We're all about institutional change. We're all about church change. If Troy just changed this or the staff just changed that, right? It's so easy to point the finger at other people. so difficult to look in the mirror and admit that we need to change. Yeah, there's some stuff in our life that we need to change. Because change is hard. And even those who like change, like to try new things and, and go to new uh, places and try new activities and, and change where you work maybe or change where you live or you like to travel and experience new things. When it comes to change on the inside though, when you have to change yourself and you have to admit that you need change, that's hard for all of us. And no one likes that. In fact, even if we don't admit it, the majority of us fear change. And our fear of change is so high that even when things are painful in our life, things we know we ought to change, and we know it's not good for us, we won't change because the fear of change is worse. So change. How do we change then? How do we change? Let me ask you a question, though, as we dive into this this morning. What's one thing you would like to change about your life today? Today? What is just one thing you'd like to change? Something about your appearance, maybe. Something about your job situation. How much money you're making. Maybe it's about a relationship. Maybe it's a bad habit or a hang-up. It's how you treat your kids. It's how you view your life. Maybe it's something about your faith. What's one thing you would like to change today? And what's holding you back? Why aren't you changing? Why is it so difficult? Well, today we're going to look at two ways, as I mentioned, of how we change. The first is this. Again, we can talk about a lot of ways that we change, but we're just going to focus for our time today on two. And the first is this. We change because of pain. We change because of pain. What do I mean by that? So there's a lot of things that are painful in our life, right? And what happens though, because we fear change, we won't change until the pain gets high enough that it overcomes our fear of change, right? Right? That's what holds us back is the fear of change. But pain, there's a lot of things we'll deal with for a while. Like, ah, that's a pain. And, you know, that's a pain. That's a pain. But we let it go because it's not high enough yet to overcome our fear of change. So life change happens when the pain is greater than our fear of change. So today we're going to look at a story, actually, in the New Testament, which gives us one of the greatest changes in all of the New Testament the absolute transformation of Saul into Paul. And it starts with a story of pain. So let's give a little background here. So Saul, maybe it's been a while you've dived into his story. Um, For 30 years, Saul lived his own life the way he wanted. For over 30 years, Saul was in control of his life. And he became this persecutor though of the church. And so the question is, you look at his life as he started. He seemed to start out so well. He was an expert in the Bible. He became a Pharisee. He knew the Bible inside and out. And yet he became one of the number one persecutors of the early church. So how in the world did he become changed from a misguided persecutor of the church into mega missionary Paul that we read about in the New Testament? How did Paul become Christianity's greatest advocate besides Jesus himself? What caused him to have this 180? would all changed on a shoulder of a highway on the way to Damascus. Now, let's set again a little bit more what he was doing up to this point. So, if you haven't looked at Acts for a while, the book of Acts tells this great story. And Jesus came on the scene, of course, he was crucified, then was resurrected, and then he basically paced Uh, passed on his power to the disciples and the disciples then started building the church the first part of acts we learn about how jesus handed over his authority if you will to the disciples and the church started thriving i mean it was growing by leaps and bounds through their powerful teaching their contagious love their servant-like attitude they were serving all people rich and poor jewish and roman the church was thriving in the book of acts at the very beginning right but there was this terrible threat this guy named Saul, he was a religious terrorist, really. Um, the early Christians, if they had a terror alert warning system, they would have switched it from yellow all the way to red when it came to Saul because this Saul from Tarsus, though he was bright and ambitious, he was cold-hearted and cutthroat. He was like an over-eager, trigger-happy religious Rambo, eager to show his stuff and get in the fight against the newly formed Christian church. He was literally dead set against this early new church. Why? Because so many people were leaving Judaism to join this new Christianity movement. In fact, it wasn't even called Christianity. It was called The Way. It was about this person named Jesus. And all these people were saying "Oh, how wonderful Jesus was. And they were losing power. And Paul didn't like it. He thought it was sacrilegious. And so here's the worst of it. Saul thought he was on a mission from God to stop the church. How twisted is that? That's where Saul was. So how in the world did we meet Saul here? How did he change from that to becoming the biggest proponent of the church outside of Jesus himself? How did that change happen? That's radical change, isn't it? Well, let's look. It all changed on the road to Damascus. Now, here's Saul's words in Acts 22 for how he described himself in that moment before the change. He said, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. So he led people to their death because he was so against this early church. Acts 26, and that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priest, I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Maybe you remember Stephen. He was right there when he was stoned to death. Many a time I went from synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. He traveled to shut down this church movement. He was obsessed. He he couldn't think of anything else but shutting down this church movement. All right, that's Saul. So if you were living in the Near East and you became a follower of Jesus, this is the last person you want knocking on your door because you knew that was either death or potential prison. Either way, it wasn't good. And then Saul has this encounter on the way to Damascus as he's trying to hunt down more Christians. This is what happens. Verse 9 up here on the screen. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he uh, found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed all around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Okay, here it is. Here's Saul. The pain got really high in his life to the point where he literally couldn't see. He couldn't walk. He needed someone to help him actually walk into the city. That's a pretty high pain experience, right? A painful experience where he was, you know, just not able to do what he normally could do, walk and talk and, and go where he wanted to go. Here's this proud Saul, Pharisee leader who was shutting down the church, so he thought, reduced to a blind man who couldn't see his way in front of him. That's a story of pain. And the pain was certainly high enough that it overcame all all of his rejections. He almost didn't have a choice, right? It was so powerful. And it was an encounter with the living Christ. What changed him was the encounter with Jesus Christ. But God used pain in that encounter, ironically, to bring about that change. Now, back to us. How do we change? How do we actually have positive, lasting, significant life change from the inside out? So let me ask you again. What are the struggles, the habits, the hang-ups, the things you've tried to fix, tried to change, tried to hide? How are you doing with those things? Addictions, habits, relationships, relating patterns, or just struggles in general? Here's what I'd submit to you. You won't change until the pain is high enough to overcome your fear of change. Because no matter how bad it gets, you still think, well, that's kind of what I'm used to. Until the pain gets high enough. Or enough people tell you that they're paying by it. And you finally get to the point where you're like, I need to do something. So how's the pain level in your life? Is it causing you to recognize that you may need to change something in your life? Now, these can be big things to little things and everything in between. But we all have pain in our life. And I think we all want to change. Here's what I found. uh, This great verse you've heard many, many times before. C.S. Lewis says, God speaks to us in our pleasures, but God shouts to us in our pain. And I think he's right. It's because pain is such a powerful motivator for change. And God allows that pain to be used for his purposes. For his purpose and for our good. What I've found is that God has often used the painful parts of my life to bring about good in my life and bring about His purpose. In fact, I'll be really transparent. So, a painful part of our marriage right now, my wife and I, um, we don't resolve conflict very well. We don't. And I, you know, part of it comes from our family of origin. So I grew up in a family where my mom and dad, when they, often uh, my dad, when he would get angry, he'd really elevate and he'd yell. And my mom was more the peacemaker and just kind of give in. And, and I never really saw them when they got these big arguments. I would typically just leave the room. I'm out of here, you know? Like I'd wait for it to calm down. But I never really saw them resolve conflict in front of me and my siblings. And so when I saw conflict come, I was out of there. Right? And so my wife grew up in a family where her mom and dad, they liked to argue and they argued loud and they would yell and they argued all the time. Sometimes they resolved conflict. A lot of times they didn't, but they would talk it out and they would yell at each other. So that's what she saw. So you can imagine when we have conflict in our marriage, and we do, we all do, right? In marriages. Guess what? Leah wants to talk it out. I want to take off and leave. Just wait till it calms down. Hopefully it takes care of itself. Not a good strategy. Not a good strategy. So we have this interesting dance. So conflict comes up. She wants to talk it out. The more she wants to talk it out and kind of force me to talk, the more I want to run the other way. Give the silent treatment. So we've really had to work on that. And it's kind of embarrassing, right? Like she's a counselor. I'm a leader, pastor, teacher. Like we should have this figured out. We're still working. It's a painful part of our relationship and our marriage. We've got to keep working at conflict resolution. Why? Because it's so important to resolve conflict. Right, uh, People that study this and, and work with couples, they say one of the key areas that really doom a relationship if you can't resolve conflict. That's a really important part of being able to resolve it. Conflict is going to happen. It's inevitable. It's how you resolve the conflict it's key, right? And so we know that, so we're working on it. So I just want to share that that's something we're working on right now today. And I joke that uh, we said, you know, well, the way we solve this, we just pretend we don't have conflict. It's great. It's wonderful. We're just in la-la land and no, no conflict, no bad idea. Don't do that. Don't do that in your marriage or your relationship. So the thing is this pain happens. And when it gets high enough, you're like, I got to do something about that. And that's when you get motivated enough to change because pain is a, a powerful motivator for change. So here's the thing for me and for you, here's what I want you to hear. God isn't necessarily causing the pain in your life right now. Not necessarily, could be you're just bringing the pain on yourself or someone else is bringing the pain into your life. But here's the good news. God wants to use all of your pain, all of your pain, whether you cause it or not, God wants to use your pain for his purpose and for your good. So there's even purpose in pain. And if you're going through a really painful time right now, you need to hear that. That God is big enough, he's bigger than your pain and he wants to use it for his purpose and your good. And you may not hold on. You may not feel that good right now or a purpose in it. Just hold on because God's got a purpose. And if you give it to him, he will use it because he wants to use everything in your life for his purpose. And your good because pain is a powerful motivator for us to change and ultimately to become more like Christ. So pain, a, a powerful motivator for change. But you know, there's actually something even more powerful than pain. The second thing that's even more powerful that motivates us for change, it's love. Yeah. It's love. It's love, isn't it, right? Love is the most powerful motivator for change that we can imagine. One of the ways God often changes us is that he will use people in our life to change you. And that's why I submit to you today that God uses people to change people. All right. God uses people to change people. Why? Because we change in response to love. Yeah. Right? Right? Yeah. We respond to love. We change in response to love. Now, before you jump into, okay, well, thinking about what does that look like? What are we talking about? What kind of love are we talking about? Let me just clarify right off the bat what I don't mean by this. Okay, so there was a young bride, and she was really nervous the night before her wedding. They did the rehearsal. She was talking to the minister and said, I don't know if I can do this. I'm so nervous. I don't know if I get through this ceremony with, I'm so nervous. And so the minister said, hey, let me help you out. Let me just walk you through. So this is a church you've been growing up since you were a kid. You know this church. So just when you first started coming into the church, focus on the aisle. You've been down that aisle so many times in your life. Focus on the aisle. And then as you walk down the aisle, then look at the altar. You and your family have worshiped here for many, many times. You know this altar. You're familiar with this altar. Just focus on the altar. Then once you get up to the top and you're at the altar, then you can focus on the one you love, the one you're going to get married to. Focus on him. That's all you got to do. Focus on the aisle, and then the altar, and then him she was so excited she's like great so the next day she goes to her wedding and she's so confident she's going down the aisle the only problem is the rest of the crowd keeps hearing her mutter to herself over and over again i'll alter him i'll alter him i'll alter him and they're really getting worried about this young man who's marrying this woman who wants to change him on his wedding day how many people have tried to change your spouse Yeah, good. Thanks for being honest. Yeah. How's that? How's that going? How's that going for you? Let me just tell you one thing. I don't recommend it. Uh, I'm married to a counselor. I'm in full-time therapy. I don't recommend it (laughs) and not a good idea. Unless you like straight jackets, then that's fine. But anyway, um, no, (laughs) here's the thing. This is not a call to change people. Okay. This is a call to love people. There's a difference. It's not a call to change people. This is a call to love people as God loves us. Because here's the thing. When we begin to love people like God has loved us, we begin to change. And then people respond to that, right? Think about all the changes in your life. How many, if you really think about it, when you've had a significant change in your life, my guess is someone in your life showed love to you and accepted you for who you were and showed that unconditional grace and that motivated you to change, right? Right? The Bible says God's kindness leads us to repentance. So God shows his love through his kindness to us. That leads us to repentance. That leads us to change. That's what repentance is, is change. So when we do the same, when we act like God acts towards us, what we do is we create an opportunity for change to happen. See, when we don't seek out to change your spouse, but you seek to love your spouse, you create an opportunity for change to happen, both in your life and the person you're loving. Now, let me also say, when I talk about love, I'm not talking about just a squishy, romantic love and a doormat love and let someone just run all over you. No, I'm not talking about that kind of love. I'm talking about God's kind of love. It's a boundary love. You still set your boundaries, but you love like God loves us. It's another centered love. It's a selfless love. It's an others focused love, but it's a tough love. It's a love with boundaries intact. Does that make sense? That's the kind of love I'm talking about. When you seek to love others, not change them, you'll be amazed how you begin to change. And then you create this opportunity for the person you love to change as well. Because God uses people to change people. That's right. Look at the life of Saul. Maybe you forgot this, because um, this is probably the, one of the most underrated people in the Bible. His name is Ananias. And he's the Rodney Dangerfield of New Testament saints. If you guys remember him, he gets no respect. I mean, just think about this. How many churches are called St. Ananias? Do you know any churches? Do you, anybody name their kid Ananias? I'd, they'd rather call him Zebediah you know, or Methuselah before Ananias, right? I mean, come on. I didn't hear any names up here calling them Ananias. Anyway, this guy's amazing though. This guy was essential to the change in Saul's life. So let's look at it, Acts 9. It's really fascinating. Here's this guy named Ananias, a follower of Jesus. He knows all about Saul. We don't know much about Ananias, but he knows about Saul. And he's like, I'm not touching him. I'm not getting close to him. I want nothing to do with this guy. He's shutting down the church. He's putting people in prison. There's even people dying because of Saul. I want nothing to do with him. God had other plans. Okay, here we go, Acts 9, verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias yes Lord he answered the Lord told him go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul for he is praying oh no this is where the vision goes bad in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight isn't that fascinating Saul had this vision of Ananias Ananias has a vision you're not supposed to go and do this thing and Ananias Lord Ananias answered I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name but the Lord said to Ananias go this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name then Ananias went to the house and entered it placing his hands on Saul he said brother Saul whoa that's a change Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Now do you see why I say he he got no respect? You need to name your next child Ananias, okay? This is amazing. No, seriously. Think about your worst enemy. Like literally, we probably all have at least one enemy. Think of your worst enemy, who's someone who's after you, literally after you. That's what Saul was. I, I can just imagine Ananias getting this vision like, God, we get a little bit of the, the argumentation here, but I'm like, maybe there's more. Like, come on, God, really? Of all the things you want me to do, you want me to go to this guy right here that is shutting down the church? He's my worst enemy. He's our worst enemy. He hates you, God. Why would you want me to do it? have anything to do with him? Why do you care about him? He's horrible, right? So you think about your worst enemy. Could you imagine God giving you a vision or telling you to go bless your worst enemy, to pray for your worst enemy, to bring healing to your best enemy? Can you imagine that? Anybody sign up for that one right now? We have a small group on that or maybe not That wouldn't be a very popular one. No, that's what Ananias do. I mean, I can see Ananias like, come on, God, give me a sign. Tell me that it's you that you want me to do. This is crazy. I mean, Noah got a rainbow. Don't I get something? Like, Give me something here, you know? I mean, seriously. But here's the thing. God uses people to change people. Ananias was an essential part of Saul's healing, an essential part of Saul's transformation. Without Ananias, Saul's prayer is not answered. Without Ananias, Saul doesn't regain his sight. Without Ananias, misguided persecutor Saul doesn't become world-changing missionary Paul. Without Ananias, we don't have most of the New Testament. God uses people to change people. This is huge. And Ananias answered the call. He showed love. He called Saul, brother Saul, after all that he knew about him. We're talking his worst enemy. And he showed love and acceptance and grace. And his actions literally brought healing to Saul's eyes. Saul became baptized. Saul's life changed forever. One of the key reasons we're here in church today is because of Saul turned Paul. But it wouldn't have happened if it wasn't Ananias. In the action, God using him in a critical time in Saul's life. You know, I think about this practically like... Sometimes stories seem so far away, you know, the biblical stories. And and, and so many of you know at the Christian Center, I'm the executive director, our whole mission essentially is to meet people right at their point of need as an expression of God's love. We meet people right at their point of need as an expression of God's love. We look for opportunities, whether it be for food, clothes, shelter, rent assistance, or mental health counseling to say, hey, what is your need? We want to come around you and provide that need as much as we can. Or if we don't have the need that we can meet, then we're going to help you connect with somebody else who can meet your need. Well, one of our biggest programs and services is our mental health counseling center. My wife, Leah, runs it. And she is an all-star, as you already know. Uh, and so she runs this counseling center. And there's so many people that walk through the doors every single day that are in desperate need of all kinds of things. Again, from food to clothes, they're homeless, they need help, they need mental health help. They're struggling, they're depressed, they're suicidal, you name it. So what I'd like to do is just share an example of someone to tell their story of change when they were met with love, not judgment. When they were met with tools and help and resources to help their process of change. In fact, instead of me telling it, I want her to tell her story. Her name's Billy Joe. She did a video for us at the Christian Center and I want you to hear her story, watch this.
1: I haven't been in this park in 11 years. 11 years today actually, I had my daughter's funeral in this park. I never had intended on getting sober, but the day that she died, I had this absolute knowing that I could not drink again or I would end my life. And I realized that I needed outside help to get me through, you know, the the baggage that led me to alcoholism. um, and um, and of course the trauma of losing my baby I had to have a counselor that was willing to talk to me about God and that's the whole thing um, I uh, death is a very intimate dance that you do with, with God I believe and, and I didn't find that in outside counseling when I had talked to other counselors before I come from many generations of dysfunction and trauma and everyone in my every generation has repeated that and so I'm the ripple effect of extreme trauma in 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 our lives and and I would like to be the start of the ripple effect that you know I start this for my kids and my kids can have a better life and you know 11 years ago today I was having my daughter's funeral here and um it doesn't hurt as much as it did back then. And, and in the past, you know, like going to the hospital where she was at, you know, that's such a trigger that I can't get in there. And today I'm in this beautiful park that I celebrated my daughter's little life at. A good life is what I live today where I don't have all those things, you know. I have a little tiny 300 square foot sewing shop in Old Town Heber. And I love my clients and I, you know, fun is going to put my kayaks in Deer Creek. It's not having a boat and have, you know, all of the things that we think will bring us happiness. But the, the reason why my life is full and rich today is because um, I've gotten, you know, I'm taking the steps to heal. And like I promised my daughter on the day that I kissed her goodbye for the last time on never stop moving forward you know my last session with Leah we walked over the bridge you know the imaginary bridge after you go through this stuff and and I pictured myself with all of these bags of stuff you know all of these burdens and guilt and resentments and everything and I set them all down before I crossed over the bridge and you know walking into my new life and it's huge it's huge i don't know how people get through life without therapy <laughs>
0: ah isn't that cool yeah that was awesome i've watched that video so many times and it hits me every time life change it's huge. It's nothing short of miraculous. Right. We talked about this. This kind of change is amazing and cool, awesome. Heart change, miraculous. Yeah. Life change, <laughs> yeah. You agree? I love this. It's great. It's true. I love her story and just how she talked about her. You know how she came about change. You know my wife Leah. She didn't ask her to clean up her act before she came into her counseling office. No. She said, come on in. All your messiness, all your grief, all your trauma, come on in. She showed God's unconditional love. And that changed her. She knew she needed help. And the pain got high enough with the death of her daughter. She knew, okay, I've got to make a change. The pain finally exceeded her fear of change. And she reached out. Good for her to do that. And at that point, she met this unconditional love. Love changes people, doesn't it? Because God uses people to change people. And Leah was able to help her walk through the healing journey. She's not done. She's very real about her pain and her grief. and Talk about her past of trauma. She's had so much trauma in her life. Many people in her boat would not still be alive. And she admits to that. If you talked to her today, she would say that. But God's changed her life. And what's so powerful, when we did that video, we didn't know actually that literally that day we, we shot the video, that was 11 years to the day when she had her funeral for her daughter. And so we said, well, you know, maybe we shouldn't do this filming. Maybe we just do it on a different day. We're so sorry. We didn't know. She's like, no. I want to tell others about the change I've experienced. And it was so incredibly painful, but I'm on a journey now of healing, and I want to help others with their healing, with their pain. And so she wanted to do it, and she thought it was special, actually, and she shared that many times, that it happened to be 11 years to the day. What about you? Where are you with your pain? Where are you with accepting things in your life, and and what's going on with your relationship with God? See, God uses people to change people. You know the ultimate person who's going to change your life? It's the person of Jesus Christ. Saul had an encounter, not with a force, not with some energy field. It was Jesus. He said, who are you, Lord? He said, Jesus, whom you're persecuting. And not only that, Jesus knew his name. Of course he knew his name, but Saul was probably like, who is this, right? No, he could have said, hey, dude, hey, jerk, hey, sinner, hey, persecutor of the church. No, Jesus said, Saul, Saul. He knew his name. He knew all about Saul. He didn't just see Saul for who he was. He saw who Saul could become through grace and love and forgiveness. Jesus already saw that Saul could become Paul. And as he said, he was his chosen instrument. And now we have the benefit of an entire New Testament, large in part to Paul. not incredible? So for you today, I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey. Maybe you're skeptical about change. Maybe you're skeptical that God cares enough about you to to bring about change in your life. Maybe you've been so focused on other people that need to change in your life you haven't really thought about you and what you need to change. Maybe today was just a reminder. Because I'm sure if I asked your spouse or your roommate, hey, do they need to change? Yeah, they have a nice long list. Sorry, I do too. I have a list too, sorry. But here's the thing. It starts... True life change starts with an encounter with Jesus Christ. And so if you've not come to the place where you've opened yourself up to that reality or that possibility, my encouragement is today maybe is the day. Maybe to pray something like Jesus if you're real. Just show me. Let me know you're real. I've got a lot of pain in my life. Meet me in my pain. I think he will. He'll honor that prayer. He's done it. What he did for Saul, he can do for you. He's the same God; he hasn't changed. So, if you think the the worst enemy that you can imagine—that's who Saul was to the early Christians—and you saw this change in him, if God can change Saul, he can change any of us. So, wherever you are in your journey, I want you to know that today. It starts with an encounter with Jesus Christ, and secondly. I want you to think about this reality. Those of you, I know many of you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so you have um, this ability where you're trying to be a follower of Jesus. You're trying to follow Jesus in in every area of your life. Would you be open to the reality and the truth that God wants to use you to change people? Now remember what we said. It's not about changing people. It's about loving them. And in that process of loving them, you create an opportunity for change. But here's the cool thing. God wants to use you to bless others. God wants to use you to serve others. God wants to use you to love others in such a powerful way that they begin to say, oh my goodness, what is going on? You're you're different. Yeah, because God's changed your life. What an incredible opportunity to show others what God has done in your life by loving others as God has loved you. Are you open to that reality that God wants to use you today? Today wherever you are in your spiritual journey. You don't have to go to seminary for that. You don't have to go get the doctoral program or anything. You can just be you and let God use you as you are right now. So I want to go into homework and we'll wrap up. Two things. First of all, if there's somebody who has changed your life for the better, I'm guessing all of you have somebody who's changed your life for the better. If they're still alive today, before you leave, certainly today, sometime, call them, send a text, Write an email. Go visit them if they're nearby. Thank them for what they've done in your life. God uses people to change people, and there's people that have changed your life. It's probably why you're here today. Thank them. Thank them. That's one piece of homework. Number two, whose lives are you changing for the better? What I really should say is, whose lives are you loving for the better? Whose lives are you serving for the better? Whose lives are you... Seeking to do everything you can to truly be God's love to them. Because in the process of doing that, you're going to change yourself. See, God uses people to change people. May we be a church that believes that and lives that out. Let's pray. Well, God, thank you so much for the reminder again of Saul's life and what an incredible change and transformation and thank you for Billy Joe what an incredible story too right here in our own backyard just someone who's experienced the unconditional love of you God and now is helping others walk through their pain and grief and loss and trauma God I believe you've called all of us in here to be agents of change and not with the heart to go change somebody else but to love them to serve them to meet their needs to meet them at their point of need God, may we be people that with your help and with your strength to love people as you love us. Because I believe, God, when that happens, not only will we change, we'll create an opportunity for the people that we love to change as well. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Give us the boldness and the belief that you're alive and well and what you did with Saul, you can do for us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Hey listen, before you leave, a book I really recommend. A.W. Tozer has this great book called No Greater Love and it's all about Jesus and his interactions with people in the book of John and just how he interacts and, and makes those changes. It really is inspiring. I encourage you to do that. Well, Troy's going to come up, I believe, and close out our service today.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you. Friends, I'm glad you came to church today. Before we head out, I want to give you one more assignment and reiterate something rob said I, i know a lot of you have had your own encounter with jesus and and maybe your encounter wasn't near as dramatic as saul's encounter in acts 9 but that doesn't make it any less genuine and i pray that you continue to experience the the grace and the truth of king jesus every day of your life but this homework assignment, I know it's not for everyone in the room, but this this little homework assignment's for a particular group of people. And I want to talk to you if you haven't had your own experience, your own encounter with Jesus. And I just want to repeat something Rob said a few moments ago. What if tonight, but As the day winds down before your head hits the pillow, what if you carve out just a moment and ask him for your own encounter with him? You don't need to overthink this and overthink the prayer. You don't need to fill it with a bunch of flowery words. Maybe it's simple. Jesus, I want my own encounter with you. Will you give me my own encounter with you? If you don't, if you're not even sure there's a God, you can pray one of those wonderful, honest prayers like Rob suggested. God, if there is a God, I want to. I want to know you. I want to encounter you. You see, that's an important prayer. It's an honest prayer. We got to pray what's in us, not what ought to be in us. That's what C.S. Lewis said, and we can do that. And, and trust Him. I'm going to encourage you to do that tonight. See what happens. Stand with me. Friends, I hope you, you can join us next weekend. Because next week we are going to begin a six-week series in which we're going to talk about something that's one of the most powerful forces on the planet. We're going to talk about hope. And I hope you can join us next weekend at Capitol Church. If you came with a need and you'd like to for someone to pray for you, here's what we're going to do is we're going to ask you to to send us an email, care at capitolchurch.com. We've got people who would love to pray for you, uh, a group of people within our church who are constantly uh, bringing the needs of our community to God uh, please take us up on that today through the week we'd love to to connect you with prayer but this is what I want to pray for all of you my friends may you open your heart to the possibility that God may want to use the pain in your life and the people in your life to transform you into the person He's calling you to be. Thanks for coming to church today. Grace and peace.